welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 23, Getting Started. Creating a sustainable integral practice for body, mind, shadow, and spirit. Well, hello everybody. Uh, this is John Dupuy, and back with the the uh, the other two musketeers of the integral recovery journey. And you all could be musketeers and musketeers too, if you want. But anyway, we're back, and this is episode twenty-three, if I if recall. And last time we were starting to get into practice, we got into just about everything else. So uh, that's the way it goes. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's you know, it's it's just great. So th- I'm I'm John Dupuy. This is Doug Prater, and this is Dr. Bob Weathers. Hello, everybody. Hello. That's <laughs> good, good to see you all today. <laughs> so let me just say what we're talking about. When we're talking about the practice, right? Integral recovery practice, integral practice. It started out with a book by um, Murphy and Leonard, George Leonard and Michael Murphy of Esalen fame, and and all of that in, on the West Coast. Brilliant guys. And um, they, they wrote a book called um, The Life We Were Given, I believe, and they called it Integral Transformative Practice. And what happened is they, uh, they're Esalen. If you guys have been there, it is one of the most paradisical places on the planet. It's absolutely fantastic. Right there on the California coast with cliffs, Northern California, and they have hot springs coming out of the ground, and, and everything's fun to weigh. Every building and everything, it's just, it's just like dying and going to heaven when you get there. And, uh, but they said, you know, we can have all these great teachers and we do yoga and meditation classes and everybody has, you know, a four or five day metanoia changing their lives. Oh my God, this is so great. And then and they go home and the life would fade. <laughs> you know, it's like bummer, you know? So we can, we said, so we can do these temporary state experiences really successfully, but how would we transform, get this thing going over the long term? And of course, it's exactly the same problem that I confronted when I started, uh, designing, uh, treatment programs in the wilderness for people struggling with drugs and alcohol. You can go out, man, I can take almost, you know, I could take president Trump in the wilderness and in eight weeks, I don't know, 16 <laughs> weeks, 32. I don't know. Anyway, you could probably get some changes. So, um, um, two enter one leave. Yeah, so, so, you know, and we would, we would, we would do, you know, like two sweat lodges a week and it would end with a vision quest. We prayed, we'd meditate and talk about our truths around the fire, move together, build our shelters, go through, you know, blizzards and storms and all this stuff. It's great stuff. Sleep under the stars. And, uh, but then again, and they were really spiritually woken up, transformed, cleaned up. And then you have to send them back into the world, you know? And it's like the best we could do in the beginning was, well, go to 90, get a sponsor, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And, you know, God bless and good luck, you know, which works sometimes, but not enough. So that was the same thing. I said, how do I maintain this, you know, this thing, this transform? powerful transformative experience in the wilderness to, to, for the long term lifetime growth and lifetime sobriety in this case. And so anyway, so I studied their book and they called it integral transformative practice and they got groups of motivated people together and they said, man, we're going to, we're going to just shoot for the super high, set the bar super high. And let's see if we, by doing all this work, these practices, uh, we can, we can achieve that. And a lot of people dropped out, but a lot of the ones that stuck with it, they were, they were doing like superhuman things way beyond what they ever thought they could by doing the centrical transformative practice. Meanwhile, back in Boulder, Ken Wilber got a hold of it and he turned it into integral life practice. 
And, you know, that when I rediscovered Ken, uh, uh, you know, about 12, 13 years ago, it was just that idea of integral practice I thought was fantastic. And he, he was in great shape at the time. He looked like a Greek God and brilliant. Well, you can have God muscles, you know, you know, intellect, humor, love, you can put it all together. I want some, right? So I started practicing and uh, that, that really changed and saved my life. I discovered the binaural beats and brain entrainment and how this thing all fit together. Not as just a, you know, just not some kind of narcissistic trip, but as the way to heal our lives and to get us ready for whatever we're supposed to be doing, whether with being a good parent or writing a book or this, that, or whatever it might be. And that, that was the thing. And the four things that we identified that you got to work on ongoing, your whole God darn life in the next one too, and probably the next one, the next one is, is we, and we talked about those in, in, in lines, they're, mm-hmm. they're individual uh, intelligences or capacities, but these are foundational. And if you neglect any one of these, the whole thing is going to be rather unstable and probably collapse eventually. So you got to work on the body. All right. You got to, you know, a strong body, uh, nutrition and basically three parts. You got to do stretchy stuff like as in yoga, you got to do strength training as in, you know, lifting weights or working with machines and do cardio endurance stuff and the nutrition. You get those three things that man, you got a body that's ready to rock. And sleep. I, would, I would throw in sleep there as well. That is absolutely. Oh critical. my God. Sleep. Yeah. Did I miss sleep? All right. Oh yeah. Thank you. I just upgraded my thing after years. He just put an upgrade, but yeah, it's very important. And the next one is your mind. Okay. You have, you know, you have to be intellectually cognitively alive. You know, if you just put a bunch of garbage in, what are you going to get? garbage out right but if you put wisdom and smart and skillful and brilliant stuff which is there is so much out there now we live we're living in this renaissance of all the science and all of the great traditions and all of these people that are on fire and producing good stuff so you got to pay attention to that and you also have to do the emotional work okay that's the third pillar of this thing in other words you have to deal with your emotions and your states that rise from moment to moment you got to go back inside and have a deep practice that allows you to go and somatically confront and release your trauma your shame your hatreds your wounds all your bad stuff you know that's keeping you stuck your bad stories that are either conscious or unconscious i'm not smart enough i'm not good enough i'm not pretty enough and I'm thin enough, whatever it is, and, and reshape a new, right, rewrite a new story that is much more open and much more uh, closer to the way things are and optimistic. And that'll be your new story. And it changes the way you operate. Also, as a part of that, in that deep process of, of you know, dealing with all your pains and struggles, you got to find your good stuff. You got to find those angels that you pushed aside that you haven't developed, that the gifts you haven't given, because that will keep you sick and emotionally screwed up and keep you relapsing and wanting to kill yourself if you don't give the gifts. Jesus said in the Gospel of Thomas, which was found in uh, Egyptian desert and this little ta- near this little town called Nag Hammadi in 1945, in this, and it's just a bunch of quotes, and it's very spiritual. They're all koans and non-dual stuff. But anyway, this one quote, he says, if you keep that which is inside of you, inside of you, it will kill you. But if you bring it forth, it will give you life. I think Jesus is saying there that we have to bring out our essential goodness and our gifts to the world. It's just part of authentic happiness and being a human being. If not, it will rot and fester in our souls and we will not be happy and we will be failures. We won't accomplish what we need to do. Okay, so that's the emotional work. And the last, but definitely not least, is the spiritual practice. Okay, and not, you know, when I'm talking a, a dogmatic set of beliefs, you know, that's handed to you by somebody else, you can completely do that if you choose to, but it ain't necessary. But you have, you have a interior contemplative practice, 
And contemplative, not, it's not just, I'm thinking about God. No, it's, it means you're experiencing the divine, however you want to name it. Call it Buddha nature, call it Allah, call it Jesus, call it Holy Spirit, God, ground of being. I don't care, but you have to have that practice. And I think uh, that's always been a part of the AA movement, the spirituality. I don't think they realized how to kind of do it a lot of times, but it was always been a part of it. So that's it. And I'll shut up right after this. We go for, we got to have the body. You got to have a healthy mind full of good stuff. I mean, you know, and the intellect is not a bad thing. It's one of the most incredible things that the universe has produced so far. You got to do the emotional work, deal with the trauma, deal with the repressed uh, painful parts and the good parts. And you have to have a viable, true spiritual practice that eventually just begins to transform you and connects you with the all and makes you understand everything and it's healthy, right relationship to everything and everyone. Mm. There it is. And we'll talk about the specifics. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you, John. I just, uh, I love how you're able to <clears throat> quickly summarize so much. You're just so gifted at that. Really appreciate it. Okay, so Doug, discovering- how, do you, how, do you do, how do you do that? Yeah. So uh, discovering practice, and I will get into this in a little bit more detail when I tell my story, quite possibly in our next episode, but uh, discovering practice was really what pulled me out of it. John, I am um, went through uh, both an outpatient and then later an inpatient rehab and failed to keep sober because I was left with this directive of 90 and 90 and just, it wasn't enough. I needed, I needed to get all four dimensions of this thing right before uh, sobriety and and the life that I had hoped would come together. And the thing is, there are so many ways to approach each of these four practices and the things that appeal to you and are most beneficial to you are going to be different for everybody. And some of this relates to your typology. Some of it relates to your preferences, your tastes, whatever the case may be. Uh, I would suggest, for example, that a mind practice involves not just passive learning about things. And there is a wonderful wealth of great information out there, but really getting busy engaging in thinking about it and, and actively learning and studying. Um, Listening to this podcast would be a great example of the thing. You can choose to listen to it while you're driving around or watch on your computer or however you choose to consume it. But if that's where it ends, it's not a mind practice. You have to think about the content and how it applies in your life. You have to learn it. Um, Finding ways to stretch your mind, reading philosophy, reading Ken Wilber's books, reading John's wonderful book, Integral Recovery, Mm -hmm. uh, are all really good ways to do this. Engaging in a practice like, for example, learning a foreign language or learning to to code if you're into that kind of thing or uh, learning any kind of new skill is a way to engage those neurons in a way that helps you heal. You start to build confidence in yourself and increased capacity to do all the rest of this work once you get the mind right. But of course, the mind is not enough either. You have to take care of your body and it just is fascinating to me how interconnected the mind and the body are you take care of yourself you get enough sleep you eat the right foods you stimulate yourself through exercise strength training cardiovascular flexibility and it powers your mind to do the rest of this stuff which also supports your emotional health my uh, shadow practice and emotional practice takes a lot of different forms and there are a lot of different ways to do it to working with a recovery coach like Dr. Bob is an excellent one. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you, Doug. I have a uh, particular I awake meditation that I really love to work with called profound releasing, 
which helps me kind of dig in and find some deep stuff and somatically release it in that way. Um, I also keep a journal, which I write in every morning. That's a great book. Uh, first of all, just to explore whatever's going on. But then as a component of that too, I also write down things that I'm grateful for, things that I'm struggling with, and things that I have done well in the last 24 hours. You know, I struggled with a lot of uh, self-esteem issues and still do to some degree. So reminding myself of things that I did well helps me to repair that. Um, so many different ways to explore it. Spiritual practice too can be just as diverse and it can trip a lot of people up for me in recovery, um, particularly as a type five. I went to my first AA meeting and they kept talking about God as you understand him. And my first thought was, well, that's great. I don't have to believe in this, you know, this, this blue amber beard God in the sky that I had learned about when I was a child. It can be my God, but wait a minute, God, as I understand him. So you're telling me that in order to get well, I have to understand God. Well, shit. <laughs> Never looked at it that way. Yeah, that's, that's a tall order. <laughs> and so uh, the, the practice then has been an exploration of that. And, and that was an important shift for me too, that the practice itself was something to lean into. I didn't need to understand anything. And I had to get comfortable with not knowing and, and continuing to work in every day as part of my spiritual practice, not necessarily to understand, but to be okay with not understanding what God is. But that will take a different shape for everyone. And it will continue to evolve over the course of your life. The important thing is to show up consistently so that all four of these facets can work together as they do to, to help. At least that is what did it for me. Yeah. That's a, that's a, you know, another thing that, that you kind of touched on Doug is, is conversations, you know, as far as the, the mental line, it's also spiritual practice and really dialogue with people, you know, because like in these conversations, we kind of have vaguely an idea where we're going to talk about it, but we, you know, it begins to kind of reveal itself as we, uh, you know, we connect with each other. And I've had the, the blessing of being able to interview and dialogue with a lot of amazing people over the last few years. And that's been a tremendous help. Uh, if there, there's something in the field and in the interaction, just as there's toxic conversations and stuff like that, you don't want to be a part of, you have to kind of search out, um, you know, good, healthy uh, people who will, you know, push you to the next level. And that's why universities, you know, although everything's going on online, the cool thing about a university is you're really able to hang out, you know, with bright fellow students and your professors and go after class and uh, make connections. When I got in the university, I was so hungry to learn everything. You know, it was just like, uh, it, it was such an inspiration. So yeah, we do need each other. We need to hang out. And, um, Dr. Bob, you want to, you want to, uh, yeah, yeah sure. Add to I, this? I love listening to your, to your, uh, your accounting, both of you, your accounting of your practice, John, I know, because we talk so much about your diligence. I have complete respect for your uh, uh, dedication to daily practice. It's, <clears throat> it's uh, so much a part of who you are and uh, it inspires me. And hearing your story, Doug, and the, <clears throat> the aspects of your practice is similar. It, it really does uh, keep me going. I, um, I don't know how I developed this uh, in myself, but it's been with me since uh, college at least. So it's been with me for 30 or 40 years uh, off and on, but where I've tracked behaviors. <laughs> I don't know if that, 
that's probably what got me into psychology. But I, I've done this even in recent times where I, I'll, I'll break down what you talked about, John. I break it down just a little bit differently, and I'll share that, but it's, it's complete overlap. I'll break down into various uh, uh, behaviors. I'll tell you the, the cartography I've used is body, mind, soul, spirit, and shadow. That's, that's the five that I do, and it's, mm-hmm. it's just a different way of expressing what you just expressed. And I'm, I'm, I'm very shy about sharing this, and I'm very shy about sharing it generally, but I do want to say it, is, is what helped me initially was to track, uh, to set a goal. And the goal was modest. The goal was for each of those five dimensions that four days a week I will spend uh, uh, at least a half hour in, in each of those dimensions. And forgive me if this sounds really behavioral because it probably is. And it's kind of embarrassing to me because it doesn't really fit with my personality or how I see myself, but it does fit with me because I do it. I'm not doing it right now and I'm doing that on purpose, but I would track it just to see how I was doing across these five dimensions. And some of them uh, saying four days a week was way too little. For example, daily meditation practice, that was just almost a given. So my tracking that in terms of spirituality, and that's what I would include for spirituality would be meditation. I really meant contemplation because my reading, which oftentimes is in spiritual, I put that under mind. Uh, Not that it doesn't serve spirituality, but I really, uh, to keep myself honest, uh, I want to have contemplative practice be a part of what I do. So there were there have been long periods of my life in the last 30 years where it just it's just an everyday thing. But what I noticed with my tracking this, I just I literally have it in my calendar and I just put a little mark for the day. I, in fact, I put the day. I'll go M for Monday, two T for Tuesday. This sounds really geekish, and so go easy on me, you guys. But this is what I did to track it. What I what I noticed with myself is that I would go in and out of phase with certain things. Certain things would drop off, and if I wasn't tracking them, I wouldn't even notice they were dropping off. Um, because I've exercised more often than not over the years, that was was a given. But when the exercise began to falter, it became it good from five days a week to four days a week. Or if I got sick, I'd be out for a week, let's say, then be be easy to track. It would be hard for me to get going again on that one. The mind almost always is taking care of itself for me. <laughs> the good and the bad. I just read a lot, mm-hmm. and so that was taking care of itself. Meditation more often than not takes care of itself, but where things got sticky for me were those those other two, and I called it soul and shadow, and I'll talk about both just real briefly. Shadow would be what you were talking about, John, and you too, Doug, in terms of the shadow work for me. I included in that therapy. I included in that my going to meetings because I dedicated myself to any uh, 12-step meeting I went to that I would always share shadow and I just, I would never go to a meeting and not share. It's allowable and even encouraged there. But I just, I knew that for me, because that was going to be so difficult for me to air my dirty laundry in any kind of group setting that I needed to do that. So that, so I, that included in shadow work, as well as my own uh, personal work around uh, forgiveness practice, working the fourth and fifth steps, all of that. I just, it's just ongoing the one that's trickiest of these five is what I call soul. And so I do want to talk about that for a moment. Mm-hmm. That's what the question, is, follow-up question I had yeah, led yeah, right this, there. Go this ahead. is the most slippery for me. And, and if I didn't track any of the others, they almost have their own momentum. And in fact, I have to tell you guys the truth. It still pops every, up every Monday in my calendar, the little tracking system I developed for this. No one has ever seen it. I don't share it with anybody. I'm sharing with you guys right now. But uh, so I'm not tracking right now and I'm doing that on purpose because there's a way if I start, if I get too much into tracking, then that becomes almost like an external thing I'm doing. I'd rather do this because it's doing okay. I'd rather do my reading 
damn it, because I want to do it, not because I'm tracking it. And so for me, there's a subtle ego thing that comes in for me. Oh, now aren't I cool? I did it five days this week instead of four last week. And I, it's just, it goes, it goes sideways for me. And so, well, you know what the truth is, you're kind of cool. (laughs) <laughs> and that's okay. that's okay i mean the guy's so, a jazz drummer <laughs> so well let me talk about soul because that ties into the jazz drum yeah, let's, so let's talk about the, the one the one that really deserves my tracking i'm not tracking it right now explicitly but i might go back to that is that everything that goes under the rubric of creativity i call soul and it's just yeah. a shorthand for creativity for me and so creativity for me includes creative writing uh, 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 you know, I, I publish now online through Facebook. You guys see these and in are including in our Facebook group. I publish reflections that involve creative process every morning right now. I start every morning with creative process. That's so cool and, the thing you're uh, sharing on Facebook, Bob. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. First time I've ever done anything like that before. Uh, the other thing is I play music a few days a week, perform publicly a few a few days a month. Um, can can and, I say something, Bob? It's like yeah. this is exactly you you did it but you know you have your your shadow dark shadow practice which you're going to meeting going to therapy doing the Mm -hmm. introspective work and then you have the light shadow Mm -hmm. practices where you're giving the gifts your soul your creativity Mm -hmm. and that's the way you're 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 exercising both sides of the street you're saying that you remind me of carl jung he he made it you know he 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 was the one that introduced shadow into the literature his german word for it john you would know it i don't know it it got translated as shadow in english and, and it was his writings that got this going in the early 1900s. But he makes a distinction that most people aren't aware of in his writing about shadow, which he wrote voluminously about it, is that we typically think of the shadow in terms of what you call the dark shadow. He called it the negative shadow, the stuff that I'd like to keep, the unseemly parts that I'd like to keep under the rock. But he said, we're as much dogged by the positive shadow as by the negative. And by positive shadow, what you just talked about in terms of light shadow, those would be the gifts that we bring to the world. And for sure for me, it, to, to use shadow language, the, the creativity is probably the greatest shadow for me. It's the most difficult thing for me to engage with. Uh, and it's, this is an embarrassing admission to make before two very creative souls. But I find myself, given time, it takes time for me to set aside. I usually can't sit down, except for my writing. If I'm going to compose music or if I'm going to work on something, um, uh, it, you know, a, a new drum thing or whatever it's hard for me to to just say well i'll just do that for a half hour i usually need a chunk of time and what i find and i've talked about this with you john before is that if i open up a couple hours let's say on a tuesday night where i'm going to work on laying down some tracks for a composition in my my home studio it's it's the damnedest thing for me but i'll find myself all of a sudden like insatiably drawn towards vacuuming all the floors Mm -hmm. in my home or let me wash those dishes really well or let me it's just crazy shit that i will do and what it makes me think of is what jung wrote about is that the positive shadow is will repress our emergent creativity for lots of different reasons and we'll go into that some other time perhaps but this is the one that i need to track this dimension because even as much joy speaking of flow as much intrinsic joy i get more joy from drumming for example and virtually anything on the planet. There's only a couple things that will compete, and you can probably guess one of them. So, so, <laughs> so drumming is a huge, huge thing for me, and it's amazing to me, and it's painful to me. I even want to cry. Times that I've set aside to practice something on drumming that would otherwise give me joy, uh, and that I would avoid it by doing the ten thousand things. And so, that soul practice for me, it doesn't come, it doesn't come naturally for me. I actually, Jung called it the opus contra naturum. It's actually the work against nature to be creative. 
nature doesn't really favor creativity. Nature favors the status quo. It, you know, you know, uh, protect yourself, protect yourself against novelty. And so every time we open ourselves to creativity, every time that you learn a new lick, John, in Jung's view, you're going upstream. And at least for me, I'll use that as an excuse to procrastinate. I'll procrastinate. avoidance and procrastination. Where does it come from? Well, I, I, there's so many things I can think about this. We all have our personal histories, but I think if you think about it just in terms of the way that we're wired as organisms, I think that we're wired conservatively. Uh, you know, people, uh, neurobiologists talk about this, that there's an inherent negativity bias to the brain is that we're much more concerned about negative things than positive things. And so let me find out anything that could be a threat. And I, I view in this way of looking at it, that anything novel poses a possible threat. And that could be novel stimuli from the outside, but I would also say novel emergences from the inside. And so it actually is evolutionarily more adaptive in the short run to keep your eyes open for saber-toothed tigers than to sit down and compose a, a poem. And I think it's the ego is a little scared of going in the deep end of the pool sometimes. Yeah, I noticed my meditation yeah. this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I've been yeah. doing this stuff daily for like 12 years. And it's like, yeah. oh, I want to meditate. I want to yeah. check, see what stupid yes. thing Trump yes. said this morning, yes. or yes. I want to yeah. get a blah, yeah. blah, blah, anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I practiced you, enough. Yeah. I stuck with it. And yeah. about after about 20 minutes, I started, mm, yeah. you know, yeah. going back yeah. to center. Yeah. But there's that avoidance is really yeah. interesting. Doug, Doug, I bet you can chime in on this too. I have this, this experience every morning, you guys, this is a confession, is that when I get up and I sit down and I pull up I, and, I, and I'm beginning to compose something. So I've done some spiritual readings and I'm going to write something about that. The temptation every Every morning, John, is for me to open up the news, is open up the emails, respond to a a text, and I've got to fight that. If I give over to that, you guys, and this this is the truth for me, if I give over to that, all is lost that day, almost every time. I won't get back to it. And so, yeah. if, and so I have to forcibly close myself off to that option. It takes keep, the work of keep, will to do that. Keep the smartphone in another room. Yes. That yes. is the only truly yes. way to do it. Yes. Don't even have it in the same room. Say, yes. bam, it's next to the bed. I'm going in the living room or wherever I do the practice. Yes. Otherwise... It's yeah. just awful. And yeah. don't even open your inbox until no, you've already no. done that work for the day because it's yeah. particularly yeah. notorious. All those little tasks that, you know, maybe take two to five minutes a piece, they yeah. snowball each other and they mm-hmm. drain little bits of willpower. And then by the time you finally get around to wanting to start your thing, all that drive you had to do it is gone. If you try to switch over in, in the middle of it too, there's attention residue left over from all those emails and things you were just looking at. You need to hit it's it when good. you're fresh. Yeah. For me, it, there's a lot of fear involved too before starting a creative project or in the middle of a creative project or anytime I sit down and, and start to work. It's a fear that my work is not good enough is not going to be good enough that my ideas aren't good enough and therefore that I am not good enough. So equating myself with my work is the first mistake. But beyond that, it's a fear of judgment, a fear that I will be found unworthy, a fear that I am not worthy to create things or share things or that I have anything worthwhile, you know, to give in the first place. And the only way through it is to just lean in because once you start the ball rolling, (laughs) It's easier to continue. And you think of it like a meditation practice. You know, you keep coming back. You you get yourself to do it and you just start and your attention wants to wander. It wants to go do something else. It wants to watch the dishes, check your email, check your social media. But you come back to the work and you keep going and you come back to the work and you keep going and you just 
get it going. Um, I, I recently released the uh, Stealing Flow tracks for iAwake exactly for that reason to help. It's not just getting in the flow states. It's a way to keep you focused and get you started. Mm-hmm. You form a, a ritual around putting on your headphones and hitting the play button that teaches your body that for the next 25 minutes, I'm just going to do this thing. And when it's over, I can be done. Uh, but ritualizing it in that way as a formal practice is tremendously helpful or has been for me at least in coming through with that. I'm sure there's a lot more to say about this and would love to hear your thoughts. But first I wanted to uh, just kind of comment on one other thing, Bob, that you had mentioned, which is I have found tracking to be just infinitely valuable in my practice. It is I'm so glad to hear you say that. Oh yeah. I, I, <laughs> I've gone through several different uh, evolutions of it, but I currently um, am using for the last two or so years now, a uh, web based program called Habitica, which Ooh, is sort of a uh, like computer that game that it gives you a little um, digital avatar on the screen with health points and magic points and all these things. And you make your list of, uh, habits that you would like to do every day. And I've got my list of habits all worked out, meditation and exercise and whatever. You choose which days of the week you want to yeah. do them on. And every day you show up and you check the little boxes when you do your things. And if you don't, your little character loses health. And if you do them, you gain experience <laughs> and gain levels and all this kind That's of stuff. Great. <laughs> it sets you up so that you, <laughs> you know, it's battle brilliant. monsters and doing your practices uh, makes you attack the monsters and it's, it's just a lot of fun and good accountability. You mm-hmm. form up with groups too and get that group accountability as you socialize and do your tasks together and don't want to let one another down. Keeping myself honest that way by tracking it has mm-hmm. kept me on track with my practice. Uh, when I trusted my intention and my best effort to do so, I would notice things starting to slip too. Even things that I really enjoy, for example, practicing music or reading fiction or whatever it is there, there'll be plenty of days where I just don't want to meditate today. And incidentally, those usually are the days that I most need to do it. Absolutely. Bam. (laughs) Good point. Um, I get that one too. I don't want to meditate. Oh, you must, there must (laughs) be something you're trying to avoid here. (laughs) (laughs) Take that ego. (laughs) And that's, that's, you know, leaning into it. It's the whole just start thing. I realize that saying that to a procrastinator is terrible. There's a, there's a trick that I learned though, uh, which is get yourself a five minute sand timer or a two minute sand timer. You turn the sand timer over and you say, I'm just going to do this one thing until the sand is done. And that's all it's going to take. And generally by the time you've been working for two minutes or five minutes, you're inclined to keep moving forward with it. You've already done the hardest part, but two minutes doesn't seem so bad. And so you do it. And that's the same with meditation. It's the same with exercise. It's the same with whatever it is that you're not doing, make the requirement smaller and just do something. And yeah. And get, and get, you know, I've been fascinated by this because I was, you know, our house was a treatment center for years, about eight years. We're filling it up with addicts and, you know, having a great old time here uh, working on our stuff together. And uh, I was like, you know what? And, and I found that the people that stuck with the practice are the people that stayed sober and stayed healthy. The ones that didn't sometimes relapse and died. That's the nature of this disease. Um, and so I was like, what is this thing? And then, uh, you know, it's about character. 
you know, I've got no character. I'm a heroin addict, you know, well, get some. So, you know, in the beginning when the people would get here said, you know, I'm just going to get you guys practicing, you know, and uh, if you don't want to put your headphones, I'm just going to call your PO and have you thrown in jail, you know, you know, put on the damn headphones. And so I said, I will bully you. I will guilt trip you. I will plead with you. I will inspire with you. I'll try to role model for you. I'll any way I can get you into the healing practice. We'll go to go. And it was like, they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> the guy cares, you know, and I take him to the gym. We work out together. I'd meditate. We're all in it together. It wasn't like, okay, you screwed up addicts. I'm going to go uh, do paperwork. You guys listen to this stuff. You know I mean? I was there doing the work. And then I discovered uh, just the last couple of years, this Angela Duckworth mm-hmm. book, Grit, you know, it's such a good book. And, and she, uh, Angela was a, um, a school teacher before she became a psychologist. And she said she noticed that the students, the ones that would really do well, were not the brightest and the most gifted. Most times, the, the kids who just did the work, you know, and, and worked really hard. And uh, she, she characterizes this under the heading grit, okay? And it means being able to stick with something for long-term benefits, heroic stick-to-itiveness for long-term benefits. I think that's my paraphrase. But anyway, you get the idea. And, uh, yeah, we get, and, it, and, and that uh, grit also is a muscle, okay? If you don't have much, it gets grittier if you work on it. So do what you have to do, you know, get, get a coach. As in Dr. Bob's case, get uh, accountability partners, get a, a, you know, somebody you go to the gym with or get a trainer or so do, do whatever structures you have to do to get you into the game and realizing that, yeah, uh, it'll get better. You'll get stronger if you exercise those those virtuous parts of you. They will get better just as you exercise all the crappy parts of you when you were in the throes of your addiction, and they got stronger. So it just takes a little time. And in in the beginning, don't expect yourself to be this great, you know, master of it. But realize that you know I'm going to need some support, and I can see, you know, I can see a, a vision of myself of what's going to be like, and. That's where hope starts coming in and you get into the day-to-day, day-to-day, and it becomes a pan used to talk. My wife used to talk about the, the, uh, the stages of change. First of all, like, I don't need to stop doing drugs. You know, that it's like, eh, I need to stop doing drugs. It's like, Oh, I really need to stop doing drugs. And then I'm going to get some help. And then you go through this whole thing and finally, okay, okay I'm going to stop doing drugs. And then it's say, I'm going to practice. And then it's like, you become a, a master practitioner. It's like, try to stop me. You know, that's what I do. You know, I ain't going to stop, you know, this because this has put me on the path of my life. And, and for the first time, I've really been experienced, you know, who I am and what I can do. And and, and uh, it's just such a great, positive, exciting story. And of course, we're not perfect. And we keep adapting our practices over time and tweaking them. And, you know, oh, that's not working. And, and, you know, as we age and go through different stages of our life, the practice changes, but it always is the practice of practice. Yeah, I think it's really important to not get too rigid with what your practice is because like you said john it does evolve and change depending on what's going on and what your goals are i think that uh allowing that that flexibility is exactly what makes it <laughs> that was yesterday's coffee cup i don't think i want to drink that <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of being human, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Doug, Doug, please continue on. I got a little distracted there by John's uh, moldy coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that 
again, the key is, is starting too. And there's so much resistance when we're starting. We, we talked about it in terms of beginning your creative writing or your day's work in that, but there can be profound resistance to exercising or doing your meditation or doing whatever it is. And when you think about all of these things in particular, it can be pretty overwhelming, but the key is to start something, start small and expand from yeah. there. Um, I have a, uh, an internet buddy, I guess you could call him a brilliant author uh, named Stephen Guys, who wrote a book called Mini Habits, the premise of which is you change your behavior by setting yourself a daily requirement of something that is so stupidly small that it's just as easy to do as not to do. Um, like his, his famous example was, I'm just going to do one push-up. And he set himself a goal, a habit that he tracked of doing one push-up every day. And the thing is, one push-up is so easy to do that it's just silly not to. I could get down and do it right now while we're having this conversation and it wouldn't take more than 10 seconds. But what he found is that once you're down on the floor, well, you might as well do another one and you keep going. But, yeah. but you also have to be okay with whatever your tiny requirement is is because there are going to be days when maybe you don't have time to sit down and, and write for an hour. There may be days when you're not going to write however many pages of your book, but if you write your 50 words or whatever your ridiculously small mini habit is, then you can keep that chain going and you start to build confidence in the fact that I have a writing habit. I have an exercise habit. I have a meditation habit. When I began my meditation practice, it was just that. I said, I'm going to do five minutes and the next week, six and the next week, seven and slowly built up to where it is now very robust and rewarding and wonderful and something that I could not be dissuaded from. But uh, starting small was the key because for many years I would lean in very enthusiastically for a couple weeks, a couple months and let it fall off because it was too much. And I had to build the habit first. I had to get it out of willpower zone and get it into the, the basal ganglia. Just make it automatic. Um, do that by starting small. You know, this is the voice of compassion and reason. I, on the other hand, I came from the military, you know, uh, boot camp. <laughs> You know, drill sergeant school, you know, and we showed up and a bunch of civilians, you know, day one where they were screaming at us the whole time. But I was like, OK, boys, oh, my gosh, you want to become soldiers. That's just delightful. Well, if we could all let's get in a group. And now, John, could you tell us why you wanted to become a soldier? <laughs> Not so much. It's like, Move. <laughs> I can only do two shows. You worm. You know, I thought my I thought my name, my first name was shut up. Shut up, Dupuy. You know, it's like, oh, excuse me. Shut up, Dupuy. Yes, thank you, Drill Sergeant. Anyway, so we just pushed us and pushed us, and in a very short time, you know, we were like everything changed really quickly. We we became, you know, kind of, you know, smoking and joking civilians from the block into we start turning to soldiers really quickly. So there's that school of it too. So I probably err on on the you know, okay, come on, get a coach, let's do this thing, and it's that's why it's nice to have treatment centers, integral treatment centers, which we don't have at the moment. It's a place. It's like your boot camp. You know, you bam, 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 and once you. Uh, you know, once you got through the initial phase of boot camp and all that the, the initial training, things got a little easier because yeah. expected you kind of knew your stuff, you know, and, and uh, it's actually what started me on a, a career of working out. It was when I got in the army, you know, and I've done I've been pretty physically active and I've done some stuff. But after the army, you know, I left boot camp. I, I was I was in great shape and I wanted to I wanted to keep it up. And so 
back then they, they don't have the great facilities and gyms and stuff they had now, but I was using them, you know, I was starting to work out. So it's been about 39 years that I, I figured out that I've been working out and uh, it got me going. So, yeah. so anyway, uh, ease into it. And, and I think for most people, by the way, the ease into it a little bit at a time um, is, is the way to go. In my case, it's, I'm usually kind of an extremist and I just like to do things in a crazy way, but both, both, uh, you know, whatever gets you to the game, you know, whatever freaking gets you to the game. And some of you, you know, I mean, I've done counseling online with, you know, addicts and stuff like that. And I found that with, uh, with professionals that I've done really well because they understand about discipline. They understand about, you know, working hard and getting things done. And so it's not a hard sell for them, you know, and they just start doing the practices and they get better. So anyway, there's two schools of that. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a third school. Oh, here <laughs> we go. I bet there you go. I know, I know we're running out of time, so I'm just going to be brief with this. It's not a third school, but it's, it's a, a way to connect these two. And it's come up recently in the Facebook post for this community right here is that what we're doing right now, which is, is sharing our own paths, John, yeah. yours, which comes from your background, Doug, you from yours and mine from mine are sharing these and then beginning to form communities of accountability that are, uh, on the one hand, rigorous, on the other hand, uh, grace-giving. I feel like it's really important and it's interesting that our community here has been asking, reaching out, saying, how can we create a community of accountability here around these practices? It's uh, all of us have whatever modicum of self-discipline we have, but what a huge difference it makes. Psychology calls it co-regulation, is that we support each other right. in our own self-regulation pro- uh, practices. John, hearing about your practice inspires me. We talk about this regularly. And Doug, hearing about yours is the very same thing. And so what can we do to, I think, for me at least, gently hold each other accountable? I'd like some support. I don't want somebody cracking a whip or being a drill sergeant, per se. At the same time, I want somebody who will hold me to what it is I'm committed to. And it really makes yeah. a difference. So just wanted to add that piece. I think it's very integral to our, our IR community here. And, and after a while, you know, you just want to practice. Yeah. It's hard yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, And you have to be lame in the beginning or you'll never start a new behavior. You know, you, nobody picks up the guitar and plays great the first time. It's like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> you put on the string and yeah. a D chord. my fingers are too fat, you know, nothing works. And so you have to be willing to be a beginner, but if you stick with it, you know, and I can always tell the the guys are going to be great guitarists because they got the eye of the tiger, right? Mm -hmm. They just want to go in their bedroom and just jump, 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 you know, and I, and I've read so much about people I admire, Stevie Ray Vaughan, who's this nerdy little kid and his, his brother, you know, who was, who was Stevie Ray's big brother? Jimmy. Jimmy was a big kind of rock star in the Dallas area at the time, guitar player. And he would like steal his guitar, which he wouldn't supposed to just practice, practice, practice every moment he had. And the hours and the hours and the hours yeah. became one of the greats. It's the same thing with us. If we yeah. want to become great human beings, not just in one particular, you know, great musician or this or that or the other, we have to put it all together with these integral practices. And we have to work towards greatness and realize you're going to be lame and blah, blah, blah. But at the more you do it, the stronger the muscles of character, of grittiness, of situativeness, uh, the understanding, your like you said, your what was your ganglia? The part you mentioned, Doug, oh, that the basal kicks ganglia, in. Yeah. yeah, basal ganglia. Just man, it's like it's strong, it's there, and it's just what you do. And uh, it's it's great fun. And I just started getting a workout partner here because I was having this head trip about this little gym that I work out. I didn't like it. I travel around to all these great gyms, and then a little dumb gym, and I just had this mental block. So I said, well, How am I going to get over this mental block? Get a partner and immediately, and I've created this new friendship with a guy I like 
before, but now we're working out together, you know, and we push each other and uh, it's awesome. It's fun. (laughs) It's not all, you know, awfulness, but no, generally speaking, it's, uh, it's, well, it's, it's huge. It's, it's everything. It's, it's practice, you know? Okay. Also guys, if you want to, if you want to kind of get just kind of a grounded day by day thing, read, read, uh, order the book, uh, integral recovery, uh, approach to treatment of alcoholism and addiction. Uh, it's on Amazon, you know, go to the website, you get it. And uh, it's, it really lay it down for, you know, what, yeah. what, how to get started and what are our particular version of it, you know, as you yeah. meditate, you use the technology, you get to the gym and, you know, all the shadow stuff and all that's in there. And, uh, you know, so let's support it. And, you know, practitioners, man, and we got We got to do this because everybody in the world needs to do it. And those who yeah. us are the kind of the, the pioneers of this integral practice thing, we're pioneers, you know, and it's harder in the beginning. You know, once it's been done by millions of people for a few decades, there's just kind of a field of, you know, that you move into, like like learning to drive a car. Can you imagine the first people learning to drive cars, how difficult it was? And now it seems that we're able to do this super complex stuff and we don't run into each other most of the time. You know, it's just amazing. We're not smacking each other and, and you know, animate objects all the time. But we learn it because it's something that the millions of human beings do and, and, and we have this intelligence. So uh, it's pioneering. It's exciting. Anybody who engages in it is a pioneer and what you bring back from your journey is going to be new and fresh and unique to me and and for the whole community and for the whole world so anyway let's stick with it and uh i think the next show we're going to get into um into doug he's yeah. going to tell his story which is really, really looking uh, forward to that looking, really forward looking forward to, to it so thank you gentlemen <laughs> man love you guys thanks love a lot you too love see you, you too. next time okay Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.